Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tej Talks podcast. On today's show, I have my broker with me. Now, I've known Shaz for probably over a year, but it has taken us this long to get a meeting put together. We're going to do it before in person, but of course, you know, this COVID thing happened in there. So we are bringing you a Q&A. Now, I'm asking all the questions and I'm asking things that I think you probably want to know, things that I didn't know when I started, things that still, you know, make me curious and still I rack my brains about and some of the illogical behavior of lenders and irrational behavior. Also breaking down some myths like, you know, can you refinance before six months and, you know, rates between different lenders and valuations and how Corona is affecting us and bridging. We speak about bridging quite a lot. Bridging seems like a bit of a dark art and I do talk about it in detail on my e-learning. I mean, Shaz actually has like a 30 minute slot in that as well. But we kind of go into the basics of bridging today and really what makes bridging so powerful when you're doing the BRR strategy and other random bits. And we speak about some case studies, you know, some of the properties that I'm working on with Shaz. Now, I personally recommend Shaz. He's been in my book. Uh, he's on my e-learning and we've probably done over 12 cases together. He is an amazing broker. People, if you haven't got a copy of my new book, come on, Amazon is there. Go get it. It's 15 quid. I promise you it'll be the best, well, maybe the second best investment you make in your BRR education. The first best is, of course, my e-learning, tedgetalks.learnworlds.com. Shaz Ahmed, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thank you for having me, Tej. How's it going? It's well. I'm I'm pleased that we actually finally, after knowing each other for like I don't know how many years, eating many many wonderful Turkish meals together, we are finally doing a podcast after all the story tags, after writing a section in my book, then audio narrating it, and then doing a video for my e-learning. Finally. I have you on a podcast. You, you're very difficult to get a hold of, it seems. Oh, you'd say that. I was going to say it's been a long time coming, but I've done everyone else's podcasts and I've left yours to last. So you've been practicing, basically, and now you're, you're coming to the best to last. That's cool. You don't have to say it. I know you're thinking it. So, Shaz, you are a... What's your official title? The official title is Mortgage Broker. Is it .cmap, .fca, .don, or what is it? Well, I mean, I've got CMAP, so yeah, I could say CMAP and then BA, because I've got a Bachelor of Arts. Oh, what did, what did you study? Media production. This is why I'm so jazzy on Instagram, you know. I was going to say, when you post once every quarter, yeah, it is it is quite nice. So, uh, we are going to talk today about finance and mortgages, remortgages, bridging, valuations, lenders, all sorts of stuff. Now, you and I have worked together on, I mean, how many cases have we done? Like, at least 12 cases? Definitely double digits now. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, not all of them have necessarily gone through. Most have, but obviously, you know, as we'll talk about, you know, no matter how good your broker is or how good anything is, you know, Rick's value is some of them are still dicks. But obviously, that's for me to say. So, Shaz, before we get into like finance and all that fun stuff, like, tell me a little bit about you. Give me the bio. Who is Shaz? Who? Where's Shaz? Who is Shaz? So yeah, I'm a mortgage broker. That's what I do right now. But um, in terms of how I got to doing what I do. I've been in finance pretty much now 
over a decade, over 10 years. I worked at Lloyd's, then Barclays, then I've done a stint at a commercial brokerage, and now I am where I am. Uh, so I've done the, com- the corporate stuff, which is interesting, it's really helpful, and now I'm doing the uh, unregulated, you know, wild west of finance, as it were. Hmm. And so how long have you been in this sort of finance mortgagey type area? So specialist finance, you know, because it is specialist, uh, three years now. Hmm, but in total, something like 10 years? 10 years, yeah. So I started at Lloyd's Bank and that was, that was customer service. Basically, what's my balance? Why have I been charged X? What's going on? But there was an element of sales in that as well. And sales is what I really enjoy. And we moved on to Barclays and they paid for my CMAP, which is good. So they paid for the CMAP course. And that was your residential mortgages, first time buyers, you know, remortgages, things that people actually really value because those clients were like, Oh, thank you so much. My first home. And they, mm. yeah. And they made us redundant. They moved all the jobs to Liverpool. So they didn't, didn't even go offshore. They moved them to Liverpool. Which, I mean, it's basically offshore, isn't it? So far from like London. So, um, I'm joking. All my, all my <laughs> Liverpoolians. So Shaz, you know, you mentioned sales there. Now, of course, you know, being a broker, sales is, is part of your job or, or your team's job, depending on the size of the company, because of course, you need leads, you need business, you need clients. Now, anyone who's listening might be familiar with this, I don't know what we're going to call it, broker syndrome. Let's call it BS, which is a good title for it, where basically <laughs> the best form of marketing brokers seem to have is, hi, my name's Tej, I'm an all-of-market broker with access to everyone and we offer competitive rates and low fees, please get in touch. We can beat your current quote. That is plastered over every single Facebook thing. And I'm looking for... An innocent newbie walks in, right? I'm looking for a broker. You get a 100 people saying, we're whole of market, we're whole of market. Firstly, Shaz, what does whole of market mean to people who don't know what that means? So you've got the market of lenders. So if it's bridging, there's loads of bridging lenders. If it's a mortgage... There's mortgage lenders. Whole of market is misleading, but essentially it means you have access to your market of lenders. I think, when you touched on it there, I think um, broker marketing is broken. Very good. If that makes sense. They say they all say the same thing. It doesn't really mean it doesn't really mean anything. So, whole of market means you have your market and you've got access to the whole of that market. But isn't everyone whole of market? Like, if you weren't as a broker, wouldn't you be doing your clients a disservice? Potentially. So, for example. If you're sat in an estate agency where all you're going to be getting is residential mortgages or that's 90% of your business, if you had someone who needed a bridging loan, for example, you may not have access to that lender that you needed to have. So what you'd have to do is use a specific packager, which is a broker for a broker, and they do the deal for you. So there's that. But as I say, like I put a, post, I put a story up a while ago, about a month or so ago, because I don't post that often, where... It's it's about framing. I think the marketing's broken, but also the questions people ask are also not correct. So if an investor says to me, are you whole of market? It doesn't really mean anything because if I'm honest, for 90% of deals, straightforward buy-to-let purchase, remortgage, most brokers will have all the lenders you need. So the whole of market question doesn't doesn't mean jack. Interesting. So it's used as the only marketing tool a lot of brokers use Obviously, big up to the to the good brokers out there who are building a brand, and there's some incredible brokers out there, of course there are, but it seems to be the thing that a lot of brokers are using to advertise themselves is, one, something that really they should have. It's like saying, hi, I'm Tej, I have keys to to a house that I own. Of course I have the keys. It's like, it's like a deal source saying, hi, we're a deal sourcer and we're fully compliant. Well, 
Duh. Great, you should be. Like, what's what's next thing? Yeah. Yeah. So it's so interesting that that's the kind of approach. And you know, you know, if I was a broker, there's just so much you can do, which you and others are doing really well to promote yourself because there's so many myths and legends and fantasies about you know finance that you are the expert for so there's so much that can be done right so let's maybe speak about you know the kind of i mean firstly a broker i know how important they are in in multiple stages of purchasing remortgaging etc but from your perspective, do you get people who often say, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to use a, I'm putting one of these sometimes, but I'm not going to use a broker. I don't need it. I'll do it myself. What's the kind of perception of brokers like for you? Um, I think it is changing, especially with social media. But then, yeah, there are people who's like, oh, I don't need a broker. You know, just it's just an unnecessary fee. I'll do it myself. So the question they'll tend to ask on social media, for example, is who are the best lenders for me, X, Y, and Z? And the thing is, it's difficult to say that off a two-paragraph social media post, and that's why you need a broker to ascertain what is good for you. And I think the word best is subjective, so I often say, well, define best. Do you want the cheapest rate? Do you want the lowest cost? Do you want the lowest fees? What actually to you means best? And then, following on from that, you may not qualify for that particular lender. So that's where a broker comes in. They'll do the research based off of you know a fact when you give them. They'll do the hard, hard work, man hours, come back and say, look, you qualify for these lenders, so these are the best, inverted commas, in your scenario. I think it's a really good point you make there because, yeah, a lot of people ask, and then people ask me, I suppose, like, oh, you know, could I get mortgage on this? Could I get lending on this? And I say, in principle, yeah, bad credit, no job. Of course, you know, there are lenders for everyone. <laughs> but I don't know the 20 other factors about you and your credit exactly. score and all this shit that you, Shaz, are going to find out from them to then work it out. So, yeah is very i mean for example when you and i were working on deals especially the recent one we've had to put through um through hampshire you literally were like right give me two hours you called like four or five different bdms at different things and you came back to me and said look you kind of fit but they said no or they said yes but you, you kind of gave me very specific answers based on me the specific human being tej which meant because you, know, you could have said oh hey tej the policy says this so yeah you know what we're good to go pay the fees but you say, mm, Ted, I've spoken to them. And because of this, they don't really like, you know what I mean? So for me, that's what makes you a good broker. And that's what makes a good broker is that you're thinking, right, how can I get Tedge a mortgage? Not how can I get a mortgage? How can I get it for Tedge? Now, exactly. on that topic, when people are looking for a broker, what do you like, excluding like recommendations and so, you know, what are the things like the characteristics or traits you think a broker needs to have to make property investors' life easier? So, I, I, you know, I mainly deal with property investors. I'll, I've probably got a really small client bank, but they're all regular clients. And I think a lot of it is finding someone who works the way you want to work. So, a lot of my clients will use WhatsApp to give me one or two line updates, <laughs> and I'm fine with that. Other brokers may not be. Or some clients want to call me out of hours because they're still in the day job and then the property stuff is, you know, the side hustle right now. I'm fine with that. So find someone who works the way you want to work at the times you want to work. Um, one thing I often get, I, well, I used to get a lot and I don't anymore because I'm just direct and answering. People often say, well, do you invest yourself? And I'm like, not really. But then I follow up with, well, it's like Alex Ferguson, best football manager ever. How many World Cups has he won? <laughs> Zero. Because... It's a different skill set, isn't it? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think in terms of finding a broker, find someone you get along with, find someone who can work with you. And 
interview them. I, I've had a few. When I first started out, the amount of people who'd spend half an hour on the phone with me, literally interviewing me, kind of asking me around quirky property questions. Have you come across this? What's your biggest loan that you've done? What's the smallest one? How quick have you done it before? And I knew what they were doing, which is great because they're obviously trying to scope out the fakers from the real brokers. So yeah, interview them. There should be no reason people don't want to answer questions. I often get annoyed when I see people come to me from other brokers and they say, my broker sent me this email with this rate. And you find they've kind of hidden the name of the lender. <laughs> and you've seen that before. And I'm just like, that's so insecure. Like, what? Because also you can't go to, like, I can't approach mortgage lenders, right? 99% of them will say no. Most, most specialist lenders who are not on the high street will need you to go via broker anyway. Mm. So if your broker is so insecure and paranoid that he's going to hide the name of the lender because you might use another broker, well, that's not going to be a long-term relationship anyway. Mm. I mean, you, you're quite active saying lenders' names on Facebook. I don't, people don't like it. but uh... I get told off by the brokers, yes. <laughs> now, I do it now as well because I'm like, come beef me. I'm just like, yeah, um, pre-six months mortgage. Well, here we go. Foundation, can't blah, blah, blah. And then I, then I message you like, what's the fourth one? Can you tell me the name? <laughs> <laughs> Can you support the beef from behind the scenes? Let's talk about broker fees because another thing people, and again, you see a lot of it on Facebook is, you know, should I go for a broker with fees? Is my broker charging the right amount? You know, there's always a discussion around broker fees because, of course, with a mortgage, you've got admin fee, valuation fee, you've got um, the whatever they call it, the lender's fee, whatever rubbish, legal fees. Obviously, we're trying to save money. The broker seems to get the kind of the butt end of it. You know, talk to me about fees versus no fees. So, yeah, I can understand why there is some resistance towards fees. Now, in terms of broker fees... Because of the way the business is and isn't regulated, you know, brokers can set their own fee structures. They can charge when they want. They don't have to charge at all. They just have to make sure it's clear what the fee structure is at the outset and agree that with the client. I think, so in terms of what brokers get paid, when the loan completes, let's say it's a mortgage, you get an offer in three, four weeks. Your solicitor takes another three, four weeks and you get the money, right? The mortgage lender will pay the brokerage. It's normally between point three to point four five percent of the loan amount as a procuration fee. It's not commission. What they're doing is they're paying the broker broker for the research, for the admin sorry, for the admin, uh, for the man hours, where if they didn't, they'd have to have an employee on a salary covering those costs. So in terms of the broker fee, look, remember the broker works for you as an investor. They're not working for the lender. So why shouldn't you incentivize them? And in terms of fees, will you be surprised, you know, a lot of a lot of the time, outside of the broker's control, deals do not go anywhere. So, for example, let's think of it. I mean, we've had one or two, but we've got them over the line eventually where it's a remortgage. And you're like, yeah, property's worth, let's say, 75000 for example. Mm. Valuation comes in at 65000 mm. And suddenly that lender is no longer the right fit. Yeah. That means then the broker has to re-input and re-enter the details to another lender, spending more of their time. So in essence, you're paying for the time, the admin, the certification of documents, which not everyone can do, brokers can, because they're FCA regulated. So I'm not saying you should pay fees. I'm just trying to kind of validate why some would charge fees versus not others. I mean, those who don't charge fees, then how do they make profit? Because point whatever percent you said is quite small. Yeah, so I think a lot of it would be volume. They are potentially doing a lot more volume to cover the fact they're not charging any fees to the client. Now, if that is the case, if it's a volume-based business, then you've got to consider, are they actually going to be 
paying due care and attention to your case? Are you going to be treated like their only client if actually they're waiting for the fee in eight to ten weeks? The other reason could be, and I know a lot of people do this, which is fair enough, is if they're in an area like London, for example, where property prices are higher, then they know that the proclamation fee will generally just cover all the costs anyway. Me being down in South Wales, but people buying houses for £60,000, it's not a viable business model. And and kind of on that topic then, you know, you said about the uh, the kind of volume houses versus the kind of more personalised thing. I can vouch like 100% when it comes to solicitors, brokers, any of that stuff. If you have someone who is giving, is a volume-based business, yes, they're going to absolutely be so much cheaper, like a lot cheaper. But the service they're going to give you, like, especially when it comes to mortgages, right? Like you and I both know from a multitude of cases we've done, some things are so personal to me or to the property or to the address or to one of the searches that if you weren't doing it personally, it would get overlooked and it would be like, oh, you know, just pay the fees, let them underwrite it. But I'm like, no, Shaz, I ain't paying nothing. And you're like, no, let's not pay anything. Let's, you know, see what we can do before that through your relationships. And that's really important. And on that topic, are relationships important? If the broker says, you know what, at these four major, you know, mortgage companies or bridges, I, you know, we've got a good relationship with the BDM. We're kind of mates. Is that going to work in my favor as an investor? Potentially. So when it comes to bridging finance, short-term finance, 100% definitely, because rightly or wrongly, they tend to play favourites. I'm not a fan of it, but if you've got a good relationship with a bridging lender BDM, they may give you slightly favourable rates, or they might take exception to their policy. They might even have a policy because they might be private money. But yeah, definitely with bridging, relationships are very, very important and influential. On mortgages, relationships are key because if there is anything you need to appeal or challenge, that's when the BDM can step in and say, Shaz, look, let me handle this, I'll have a word. Or often, um, if there's bits in criteria that you know you just want to double check, a BDM essentially is a salesperson for the for the lender, so they want to get the deals in. So they will make themselves available at all hours to the broker to say, Look, I've got a quick question. Can you just answer this question? Is the deal gonna work? Yes, Shaz, you know, if and if it doesn't, let me know and I'll speak to the underwriter. So they'll directly call the underwriter and say, Look, I've pre-agreed this because of X, Y, and Z, or we can use this rationale, get the deal going. Hmm. And just to actually jump back a second to the fees part, you know, what do mortgage brokers actually get paid? Let's say we pay someone a fee of, you know, 400, 450 quid. Obviously, you've got insurances and blah, 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 all the costs and stuff that come out of it. Realistically, what does a mortgage broker get paid? On that generally so, on average. Yeah, sure. So you've got the procuration fee, as I said, let's say, let's call it 0.45% of the loan. Uh, but in terms of overheads, this is whether you've paid a broker fee or not. In terms of overheads, you've got to pay the FCA, your license. So if you are the owner of a company, it's per advisor. Or if, you know, I'm self-employed within a brokerage, I just pay a percentage away from what I get. If you are the owner of a company, you've got your PI cover, so your indemnity insurance. That's going to be covered as well. And there's, you know, cost of the office, cost of the electric, cost of the broadband, cost of the phone line. All these costs add up. So in terms of what a broker gets paid... It depends whether they're employed or self-employed, but how much do they make versus what their overheads are? And you'll find, actually, it's not that much. I mean, economies of scale do come into it. So the more you do, the more streamlined your processes can be. But when you are a small niche boutique brokerage, as it were, it's it's a balance and act to actually make sure you're in the green. Mm. 
And, you know, if someone has never worked with a broker before, what kind of things can they do to make your life easier sort of at the start? So I always say, you know, tell your broker everything and start start with the weird and wonderful things. So I want to buy a house. Great. I don't really care. I know you want to buy a house, but I've got bad credit. Well, lead with your bad credit. What happened? Oh, it was a missed phone bill three months ago. You know what? That is irrelevant. No one cares. But that's, that's important. You told me that up front. Mm. So yeah, start with the weird and wonderful. Those are the quirky things and that determines which lender or which route you're going to go. Get your paperwork in order. So, and be prepared to fill in a, a form. Okay. So it's usually seven or eight pages as a fact find to fill in. But once your broker has got that, they, they should probably not contact you again until you've got lender recommendations because all the information is in that form. And just in terms of paperwork, get your bank statements, get your ID, get all of that stuff clean and, you know, in order. And also buy a scanner, please, because you have to scan your documents across to your broker who has to certify it and send it to a lender. But in terms of that, you can use an app called Cam Scanner. Mm. Other apps are available. This this program's not sponsored by them yet. <laughs> but yeah, you have to make sure there are quality documents being sent across. And you know, on on the topic of yes, yeah, sharing everything with your broker and also being new in property. I mean, you know, is there are there real red flags for lenders, or is it kind of everything's a bit of a red flag? But it's just about how many have you got. I'm kind of thinking of people who. Maybe a bad credit, maybe you haven't got an income, maybe I'm trying to think of, you know, people who haven't got the perfect golden, you know, profile for a lender. What things should people be aware of that lenders are going to be sort of shaking their head at? So what I'm finding right now, and this is, the, I guess this is the main code effect that I'm finding, and this applies to experienced or new investors, is, so everyone's saying, look, mortgage lenders are being really slow right now. They kind of are, but all that's happening is a lot of the underwriting is being done up front. So whereas before you'd get fed inquiries during the process, a lot of this now and risk assessment is done at the start. So that's taking an extra week to get stuff across. Now, what they really, really, really check in, everything else aside, is if there were any voids in your rental, could you cover them with money that you've got? Or are you going to come to us and ask for a mortgage holiday? And that, that kind of sustainability piece seems to be what I'm finding that a lot of lenders are checking more than anything else at the moment. So, of course, you know, you'll have some lenders with specific policies around credit. So if you don't meet the policy, you know, they're not your lender. But what everyone seems to be checking is long-term plausibility and sustainability. And I think that's just a knock-on effect from all these payment holidays so many months ago. They want to avoid that situation again. Mm, that makes sense. Now, I mean, okay, let's say I have bad credit. I don't have a salary and I don't own my own home. First time, you know, buy to let investor. Can I get a mortgage, a remortgage? Yes. So, well, I say yes. I mean, anyone can get a mortgage. Together Finance exists. They will lend to anyone. Yes. Your favorite lender. I don't know why you are. Sorry. They're my favorite bridger, but on mortgages, they are about, you know, 7% a year. So obviously, you know, yes. And not Fine. even. So to, together yeah. exist. But in terms of remortgage, so the first thing with the remortgage, the benefit you've got is you own a property, the one that you're remortgaging. So potentially it's a buy, refurbish, now you're refinancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the credit, that would be, so when people say I've got bad credit, it's like, look, send me your credit file because it may not be as bad as you think. It may be something that lenders will ignore. So for example, Kent Reliance, uh, people have heard of them. <gasps> you said a lender's name. Oh my God. I said a lender's name. Oh my God. I'm, I'm recommending it on, on a podcast. Damn. So, Kent Reliance, they tend to ignore unsecured arrears. 
So, for example, you may say you've got bad credit, and it's great that you told told your broker that up front. However, Kent Reliance, if it's unsecured, if it was a phone bill uh, in the last 24 months, you know they will ignore that. So, actually, for you, that's bad credit. For them, it's acceptable. And they'll let you refinance within six months. They don't have a minimum income requirement. So, actually, you may fit their criteria wow. and be allowed to refinance within six months. Kent are all right. Apart from their kind of pre-six months valuations being a little bit tainted or tinted towards being stupid sometimes i think ken are actually quite a decent lender actually because they just seem um, to give money out sometimes they're okay i mean look they're backed by a bank so they're backed by one savings bank who've got three different brands i've had i think pre-six months what i'm finding is they're very very picky around the invoices schedule works and bank statements mm. and if those three things don't match up they're like well we want to tally up to the penny otherwise we're not going to lend yeah, and I feel like then they don't do it open market value. I feel like, say, Foundation, Ooh. they, you know, we had an amazing spree with them, like my first five. <laughs> we, had a bit, we had a good run, didn't we? That <laughs> was the underwriter, the ex-footballer. Oh, Mr. Mr. Yeah, that was, those were the, the golden days, isn't it? And then it all went to <laughs> shit. But, like, it's interesting, though, like, because knowing these, like, knowing the characteristics of each lender is great. But as you just said, it changes. Like, we don't really use Foundation that much anymore, for me, because... Well, situations change, they change, their policy, you know, and so that's what your broker needs to kind of bring to you to say, you know what, we've been having, you know, we had a bit of shit luck before, but now we've got a new BDM, now we've got this. Actually, this lender could be, you know, someone to go with. They've changed their valuation panel, blah, blah, blah. So that's really important. Now, you mentioned COVID effect. Like, I mean, 2020, what a mad year. Um, we're, we're recording this in 2020. It'll come out sort of early 21. Like, from your in your opinion, I suppose, how would you describe lenders' behaviour in 2020 in general? I think it's get, definitely getting better. Um, I think it'll be remembered by a lot of brokers for how lenders were treating and brokers on the back end. So there were certain lenders who literally just disappeared off the grid. No communication, nothing, you know, and it's like, come on, you know, we're all in this together. We've got clients on the other side. So at least tell us what's going on. We can just pass that information along. So that's, there was a lot of that. But I think the difference between this lockdown and this part of what's going on versus last time around is there, people are more prepared. The property market is still open. Valuations are still happening. There's been no major, major down valuations. I've not seen anyone feeling like you know, their value's not what they wanted. And apart from that, um, three of mine. Apart from you, but yeah, <laughs> inve- investor optimism, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that everyone's a bit more prepared this time. As long as they're comfortable that you're not going to struggle if there were any other rental voids or gaps. I think that's the key thing. Sustainability as a long-term professional landlord. So I think it's slightly more difficult for newbies. If you're a first-time investor right now, it might be slightly more difficult to get a lender to have you on board if, if it's not packaged correctly but i think experienced investors remortgages you know raising money to buy more properties it's fine bridging is as buoyant and active as it was before i've probably done more bridges this year than i did the year before so really ha- hashtag blessed and all that kind of stuff but <laughs> yeah i mean that's crazy because i know bridges just love giving money out you know i mean they got a first charge they take the money but why do you th- I mean do you think that's because generally a lot of people have been pouring money into property that it just naturally happens that bridging increases yeah I mean uh, first of all I think what we've seen a lot of as well is auctions that being really crazy and ridiculous with silly silly guide prices mm. 
And I've seen both ends where some properties have gone for probably what they're worth or more than what they're worth, which is never a good thing. But then you do get the odd bargain and that's suitable for a bridge. And I've definitely seen an increase just in general in the buy, refurbish, refinance model since and during COVID. A lockdown. Must be my book got everyone into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, available at all good bookstores, only Amazon right now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're working on Barnes and Noble and Waterstones. We're just, they want like a thousand. I can only give them like a couple hundred. So we're just, we're, we're beefing it out for now. Yeah. Brilliant. You might see me on the story beefing them. So speaking of lenders then, uh, 2021, you know, the, the, the predictions are that the house market is going to continue to be buoyant. You know, property trainers are saying it's the best time to invest. Buy now, buy now, all this stuff. I mean, have lenders given any indication, you know, in their little Christmas newsletters about what they're, predicting for 2021 do you think that rates will reduce and ltvs will kind of creep up a little bit or are they still playing it cautious so i think rates should go down but i've not heard anything i mean that's just my own prediction because rates are definitely a little bit higher than they were this time last year mm-hmm. my own concern around this whole covid lockdown situation is and it keeps getting extended is the end of furlough because i think when that happens, that's oh, when it's never going to end. Mate. Twenty years, it's never going to end. They're, they're going to keep pumping money in. But yeah, I think if and when that ever happens, that's when there'll be unemployment. That's when there'll be not necessarily a crash, but just adjustment to the market depending on what's happened. But if you want an expert in this area, please speak to Deed Ludlow. He knows the economy <laughs> inside out. Yes, Ludlow Street Podcast. Go <laughs> check it out. He he actually does. He's been on my podcast. He's, and- He's, actually, he's renamed it now. It's the 5M podcast. Oh, 5M podcast. He, um, he's actually, I'll, I'll publish this soon, actually. He's, I think he's got the most listens of any Test Choice podcast. So. I thought Dorian Payne had it. Uh, he, well, he came and stole it. The, the Welshmen are doing wow. really well. Don't know. Wow. People must have seen, uh, Deezer model and thought there was a video attached or something. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about, actually, you know what? This is, uh, this is kind of a random Q&A. I quite like this. Just thinking about things that I know people want to know. I hope so lenders don't like certain things with you know our character our you know lending profile should we say yeah what you've a- come across this something so oh yeah multiple times what about like physical stuff on a house you know can you get a mortgage on subsidence not weed cracks mine shafts talk to me about that funky stuff and you know is it mortgageable it's funky stuff so japanese not weed I'm going to say generally and typically because there's always people, lenders doing mm-hmm. you know, weird things. But generally, we're not weird. If it's been treated with an insurance-backed plan, then there will be lenders who will lend. However, I've seen some lenders with ridiculous policies, such as Keystone Property Finance. Ooh, they're dickheads anyway. Who, Keystone, you're dickheads. Well, I'm not backing that. But anyway, no, so their, po- my opinion, their policy is... Um, they want the insurance and treatment plan to have finished before they will lend. So if you've got a seven-year plan, they want you to wait seven years before applying for the finance. That's ridiculous. It makes no sense. But they didn't say that to me, though. They Well, said it to me, and I passed it on to you. That's why we didn't use them for the other properties. We'll not name names for streets. Interesting. But yeah, so th- those are silly things. I mean, subsidence, a lot of this will be subject to valuers' comments. You know, how bad is it? Is it going to be causing an issue in the future? What does the value think? And it's interesting in property where a lot of your assets are down to one person's professional opinion on that particular day. And they're not even professional half the time. <clears throat> sorry, sorry. Karen. And then, and you know, in terms of a challenging, challenging that, huh. you know, you've tried it, Ted. You know, it's it's great. You can vent your thoughts on this little <laughs> form, but the the actual chance of them coming back and saying, you know what, we made a mistake. 
is very, very, very rare. Never. They won't. Like, Ego, their contract with the company, like, they don't care. Like, for them, it's better to downvalue. It protects their insurance. Like, it's all just rubbish. Like, so I do it just to piss them off, to be honest, and to create more work, just because I'm a bit of a knob. But um, t- t- talk to me then about, like, you know, ah, mine shafts. So, mine shafts. What's the deal with them? Is it distance based? It's distance based, and again, values comments. So, when I get a lot of these things with Mineshaft and so on, I'll read the CML, Council of Mortgage Lenders Handbook, and that tends to have a broad guidance around what a lot of the lenders will think. Do you just keep yeah, it in your distance. pocket every day, little guidebook? Um, I've got a, it's on my Google Chrome favourites, actually. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's handy to have that because it gives you a quick overview of what lenders will and won't do it. As I think I've said to you before, the more quirky you're going to go. So if you've got a property with knotweed next door, mine shaft underneath the property, and it's next to an electric pylon, then you may not get any lending at all, or you may have to go together, and they'll give you what they give you. So, lend, yeah, you can get lending on most things, but this is where, and this is what you do with me, is just speak to your broker up front. So if you're thinking of buying this rundown property to do up, and the value works, but it's got all these quirky things around it, Speaks to your broker now to plan for six months in the future because they'll tell you if it's going to be mortgageable or not. Mm. And a weird one you and I have had actually on one of my properties um, was uh, I won't mention which one, but the the next door being boarded up what came up in the valuers. That was crazy, and I remember speaking to the estate agent about that, and he's like, "Yeah, it's bought, it's kind of semi boarded up now. However, it's just been sold at auction, so it's going to be refurbished." And I think the but we've had that value twice, haven't we? And both times they've mentioned it, or well, once that was the sole reason for the down valuation, and the second time around they just mentioned it, saying it possibly will affect future. Well, when we but, appealed one, the reasons were boarded up next door, close to the high street. I'm sorry, but if I can get my eggs quicker, that's a benefit, and it being on a sloping road with double yellow lines or something. Bullshit. Didn't you have one where it said like it was on the less attractive side of the road or something along the way? Yes, yeah, 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 that's the one we're going through now. And he said, um, yeah, it's on the less attractive side of the road. Mate, it's a shithole. Both sides of the road are shit. Like, it's, like it doesn't make yeah. any sense. I get what they're saying, right? And this is the thing with valuations that you and me talk about. It should be, or, well, at least what we believe it to be, is basically size and like for like. But I get what they're saying about the saleability, parking, side of the road things like that but then that's an opinion and i don't think they're qualified enough to share that opinion to affect no, and, and, and the funny thing is um, i think i'm sure we've done this with the kent to foundation perhaps is where so kent and foundation home loans both use connells mm. right but you could have the same property go to both those lenders and get a different value possibly the 10, 10 to fifteen thousand pound difference because it is just a professional opinion yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We've had yeah, we've had something similar to that actually. So, and this is something that you as a broker can't really control, right? It's up to us and, and the and well, I suppose how you can control it is by saying, look, Tej, he's and I always ask you this. Here's the experience I've had with this lender. Here's how many vowels have gone under and over, and then we can make a decision from that, right? Exactly. Um, or it's a case of look, you tell me that this property's got not we twenty meters away from the boundary, so I'll say, look, well, actually, this lender does wants it no more than seven meters so you know you kind of break it down again with criteria so specialist lending it's down to the client which is you but also the asset which is the property both those things have to fit before you can get any kind of funding 
in terms of like influence and valuations, the other thing that can happen. So on standard buy to lets, uh, single lets, HMOs, small HMOs, sorry. Yeah, there's not much really the broker can do. But with it, when it comes to commercial lenders, so your Shawbrooks, Hampshire Trust, Aldermore, Interbay, uh, a lot of the specialist brokerages can influence the choice of valuer. So, for example, with a couple of these lenders, we normally get three quotes, and then we can do the research, and, you know, has anyone else had experience with this particular surveyor in this particular postcode on this particular type of asset? What has the results been? And we can go from there. So you have some element of control, but not enough to influence uh, the end result. Mm. And even then, you still pick, you know, Mr. Mr. Tommy who does great vowels, and then he just feels like, nah, I'm on the same day and down. Is it, isn't your big bugbear that sometimes they send out random people from miles away to value a property in the valleys? Which, uh, again, why? Why would they do that? Yeah, I think, like, look, you know, property can be learnt. Of course it can. But when someone who's not really local, I'm not local, but I know enough to be local, is commenting on local trends that are not true, but you can back up with evidence, you're kind of like, why are you here, really? Um, yeah. But it's one of those things, no one cares, because the lender doesn't care, the um, surveyor doesn't care. If they downvalue you, they're happier, because they've got a charge on an asset, they've said it's 70, they've given you 75% of that, but it would sell for 80 if they repossessed you, maybe 75 I mean, you know what I mean? It benefits them, and that's really what they care about because, you know, whose money is it anyway, as they all say? Absolutely. And let's talk about bridging finance then. A lot of people say bridging finance is so expensive. What do you think? Um, it depends what you're comparing it with, I suppose. I mean, like a mortgage has a particular rate, but it shouldn't really be compared to a bridge. With a bridge, you're in and out in six to nine months, depending on your project. So... And I think a lot of it is framing again, how, what kind of questions are you asking as an investor? So, you know, if a client comes to me and says, I want to buy this property on a bridge and I want to borrow as much money as possible. Well, then, yeah, of course you're going to get the high end rates. But if it's a case of Shaz, I've seen this property, I've got this amount of cash. How can I use that to get, you know, what kind of, what is available to me? You'll find potentially better options. I've seen lenders doing rates of like 0.65% per month. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen some as low as 0.55. Now, at 0.55%, that's actually possibly on par with what you're offering an investor. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, the, yeah. the fees The fees may not be comparable. So in terms of bridging, yeah, the upfront fees, you've got broker fees, valuation fees, and legal fees for yourself and the lender. So there's a lot of fees there. They can sometimes make it not worthwhile. But I think in terms of actual cost, Think of the end, though, isn't it? I think, and um, I heard my good friend Sam Norris on someone's podcast recently. Ooh, broker friends, broker friends, frenemies. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, but look, essentially, look, irrespective of cost, if at the end of this six-month project you're going to get a cash-flowing asset and you've managed to pull back most or all or some of your money, then surely that result is a good result. You know, it, it's the end is what you should be focusing on that's true and i think if a deal can't take a bit of interest a bit of fees then it's quite tight because what... really a good deal yeah i mean i've mm. seen i've seen deal sources send me things where they're looking at refinancing on the back end at 85 percent loan to value Oof. i'm like in what world is that going to refinance at 85 <laughs> or even 80 percent this deal doesn't work you know and there's only like one two lenders that do that in limited companies right they've stopped now so it was a vida and who else? Land I think it was foundation. 
Lamb? No, I, I think it... No, it's Vida Homelands doing 85, sorry. And now they're doing 80, along with Foundation, so they're both doing 80%. So Vida do mortgages like a year in advance, right? you got to let them know a year before. <laughs> Currently, their service level agreement, I believe, is sat at 42 days. So imagine that. Hey, Ted, thanks. I've just submitted your case. you paid your fees. I'll get back to you in a month and a half. It's not great, and it's 42 it? working days, isn't it? So it, Working days, yes. So I, I can't do the maths, but that is a pathetic amount of time um how do they how do they and others get away with that like why would like give me an example when you would use vida and you would cope with 42 bloody days so vida would possibly be handy if you have got any impaired credit they've got tolerance for credit issues Mm -hmm. um also they're one of the only lenders at 80 percent loan to value Mm. And also, Risky. they're quite kind of lenient in regards to HMOs if in, if in terms of experience. I believe, you know, they're okay with, I think it's 12 months, uh, landlord experience instead of, you know, two years like other people want. So what they did though, they emailed out about a month or so ago saying, guys, look, we're going to prioritize purchases rather than remortgages just so we can try and meet the stamp duty deadline. Fair enough. So there will be delays, but at least they told us. I mean, it, it's interesting though. Low credit, they look at, they look at high LTV, they look at, it's interesting hearing the kind of like what lenders look at because you kind of think, hmm, okay, you're a bit risky, isn't it? Or like, oh no, you're really safe. And like, it's interesting seeing the differences. I mean, some of the, the lenders we've spoken to, they are built for investors, but they say to me, hmm, you're an investor, you've grown too quickly. Oh, you've got a portfolio? No, sorry, we we don't like. It's just weird, isn't it? Some of the do do you find it weird as well? Like some of the feedback lenders give, like it doesn't make sense. Yes, I absolutely do, and I think it's. It's one of those things where if you get an underwriter who opens that door, they're not going to close it until they tick every box and answer, get every question answered. Um, and a, a lot of it then is down to your broker, not to kind of big up myself. So use your, use any broker, but a lot of it is down to packaging and presentation. So how have you been presented? How's the deal been packaged? Have you been presented as an ideal client? So, you know, we're going through this deal now to edge with Hampshire Trust. Mm. On the face of it, you know, your portfolio is what it is. But obviously, we've packaged it as if it is like, you know, Ted just got the successful model that works. He's an X, Y, and Z. He's gonna, you know, he's in it for the long term. Which is all true, though. They, which is all true, exactly. But you know, make them want you as a client because at the end of the day, they've got the money. And it sounds harsh, you know, but people say it's their money, their rules. Kind of it is, but still, let's apply a bit of common sense, especially with all the fees that you're paying out in terms of valuations and so on. Yeah, I think like it's. That's a good example. And, and the one where there was, um, knotweed at the tiny edge, not even on my land. And it's, it's actually, I think it's called a uh, bonsai knotweed because someone's treated it probably illegally. And it had never been spotted on three or two or three different valuations we had before. And then man like Neil comes along and has to mention it. And the lender said no, even though their policy publicly says yes. And obviously we've put a complaint in. Oh, people will see on my story when I at the lender. I probably won't do that. <laughs> they'll see the kind of conclusion of that but something like that stumped us right because it made there's no logic to it at all is there it's not and and yeah like you said we've had other valuations done where it was wasn't even mentioned so consistency or inconsistency happens a lot with lenders and this not not this is a bit of a tangent really but you know when you get and this is totally different to what we're saying when you say people want to use mortgages for instead of bridging yes. for buy refurbish refinance and then you get a lot of brokers like me um, you get like Jonathan Sherwood and others who, you know, we're like the mortgage police. We're like, no, no, you shouldn't do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. But actually, if I'm being totally kind of honest about it is, 
yeah, definitely don't do it. But do lenders police it enough? Do lenders consistent with their own policies? Probably not. You know, so it's tough then being in the middle, giving the advice to say, look, you shouldn't be doing this. But then being told, well, I've done it before, or my, my investor friends have done it, and no one said anything. And that, again, it's lenders just being really, really inconsistent with their own rules and their own policies. I mean, yeah, they, they smack us for like little things on remortgages, but then, oh yeah, please use our products uh, incorrectly. Please do fraud. Happy days. Well, I mean, there's a couple of lenders now doing ERC-free trackers. So just to explain that for your listeners, Ted, you know, a tracker is not a fixed rate. It can go up and down. It tracks usually the bank's base rate or LIBOR. And an ERC is an early repayment charge. If you were on a two-year fixed or a five-year fixed and you left that within two or five years, you get charged a penalty. But on these trackers, there's no penalty. Now, it makes you wonder what's who is the target for these products? Because, mm. you know, the <laughs> who are they aiming for? Because if you call, if I called them and asked them, said, look, my client's going to do a bridge, no tenants in for six months to a ref- sorry, he's going to do refurbishment, no tenants in for six months, and then he's going to leave you as well. You know, you're cool with that. They're going to say no. <laughs> but kind of so, yeah, who, who are they aiming for? What, what is the USP or niche of that product? It's an interesting, it's kind of like an unspoken <clears throat> investors, <clears throat> you know, kind of, uh, here we go. Don't tell us what you're doing, but, but here we go, which, it's an interesting one. I mean, look, the, the the difference in in interest between a mortgage and a bridge is is big. You know, mortgage is three and a half. You know, currently in limited company, I'm sure it goes less, it goes higher. But bridges is at least, including fees, if you really annualize it, it's at least ten percent, at least, and that's maybe with a good relationship or a discount. So, yeah, this and then this can. is when bridge to let can be handy. It's another one of those fancy products. I'm not the biggest fan. I'll be honest. Um, Why not? Tell us what it is and tell us why you're not a biggest fan. Cool. So traditionally, on a buy, refurbish, refinance, you'll have to buy the property initially either with cash, your money, other people's money. If you haven't got that, then bridge and finance. Once you've done the work, whether that takes three months or six months, you then apply for the mortgage with another lender. That might take another two, three months, all the time you're paying interest for every month that you're on that bridge. Now... Generally, most bridging lenders don't offer mortgages. Most mortgage lenders don't offer bridging. There's a couple, like literally a couple of lenders now doing what they call a bridge to term, refurb to let, bridge to let, those types of products. And all it is, you'll have one application process. So you do one application via your broker. Um, one underwriting process will underwrite you for the bridge and the mortgage on the exit. One surveyor will visit visit initially before the work's done. They'll then do the reinspection after the work's done, and all being well, give you the money. What so it streamlines the costs and it's less risky in a sense because in a way you've secured that you can get a mortgage. And they but give I you a valuation on day one, right? With when they visit. They do, but it's based on you doing the work, isn't it? So it's the same I think it's just, it's similar to a standard mor- a bridge then mortgage because if you don't do the work they're going to downgrade that valuation and also it's not uh, a f- like fixed valuation is it like people think when they come in and say right you do the work it'll be worth 100k in the small print doesn't it say something like whatever we'll, we'll pull out we'll change yeah no it, it can it can change so I, i've had i've had one i'm touch with not many i've had one where it had it did get downvalued after the works were done and that was, again, due to COVID, they're like, well, the market's different now, so we're going to have to take 15 grand off the end value. It's like, oh, great. Um, but yeah, so what I find with with this setup is 
often they do be quite conservative on the end value anyway. So where you may think it's going to be worth, let's say, 150, they'll normally come back and say, oh, that's worth 140, just to be a bit conservative. And I suppose that is because the surveyor is estimating, and he mm. probably doesn't want to be too kind of figure-happy on the end. But also, happy. What, I like that. Figure-happy. I, I thought that on the cuff there. What I also <laughs> found was um, that often, I'd say a good 7% of the time, it works out and I'm going to use the word better, because but that's subjective, but better to do a separate bridge than remortgage, purely because you get access to lots of different lenders, get access to all different rates, and you potentially will get a better valuation as well. So the main benefit of doing a bridge let is, yeah, security, that you can get a mortgage. But also you do save, let's be honest, you save money and interest, because, as I said before, with a standard bridge, then mortgage, you're paying interest every month. As soon as you apply for the refinance, when the work's done, that's another three months, let's say, to pay interest. With a bridge to let, once the work is done, you just call the lender or you know, send an email. They'll arrange a reinspection. As long as that's all okay, you get the funds drawn down. That takes maybe three weeks. You save two, three months worth of interest, which again is handy. So if it's, I think if it's your first kind of project, BRR, or if you're just risk averse, then yeah, great use bridge to let. But then don't be expecting really high end value because they will tend to cap on the back end. And with the bridge to let, can they get the bridge part done as quick as a traditional bridge? Once the initial underwriting is done, so because they're underwriting it for a mortgage as well, whereas on a bridge and you, you, know, you use together on a bridge, it can be fairly quick, you know, maybe a couple of days and then everything's instructed and mm. all done and dusted. With the bridge to let, it takes, I'd say, best part of a week, probably a week. You know, top end because they are underwriting the mortgage which always takes longer anyway but once that's done it's a usual process then legal valuation and off you go so doing a bridge to let on an auction especially your first time with that lender might not be advisable i i probably wouldn't advise it i mean i think this but this is again where relationships are key so if someone was adamant they wanted to do bridge to let because they just wanted that security this is where you'd need, need to make a phone call to the BDM. So look, this is the asset. This is what they're buying. This is it's an auction. They've got you know, so many days. Are you confident you can do this, providing I give you all these documents on day one? If they say yeah, then it's it's down to them, isn't it? Mm, I agree. Great summary there. Um, let's talk about property value slash prices. Now, I've kind of noticed that under, I don't know, under 75 or under 100k, you can you know, correct me, it's just a little bit more difficult to kind of get lending. And as you said, as you mentioned before, we've had properties that were in the bracket and then they got downvalued below the bracket, which is fine for me. It's still a great deal, but that lender doesn't do it. And then we got to go fucking someone else and then bleh, painful. Um, you know, generally speaking, are there kind of levels within, you know, like, does it get easier or harder above or below a certain end value on a property? Yep. So. First of all, a mortgage, a property value less than 50k, it's very, very difficult, very niche, and probably very expensive. Again, I think we're looking at together finance. And I've heard maybe Yorkshire Building Society, but you have to go direct, I think, with them. So those are like your two options, literally under 50k purchase of property value. Uh, 50 to 75k, there's enough lenders there. You've got likes of precise mortgages, we'll look at that and so on. 75k plus it's yeah 75k seems to be the cutoff and that's when you get 
the mainstream specialist lenders, as it were. So 75k, I'd say. Mm. Yeah, and, that, and you know what you said, there's a few lenders at those kind of low levels. It might seem promising, maybe, to people who are looking at end values that low. The problem is, you know, me personally, I have, I don't know how many lenders, Shaz, but 10 who would, you know, who I fit their kind of criteria off the cuff. But then, you know, depending on the property, it turns out only two of them will lend. Absolutely. So I'm going from, you know, 10 to 2. If you've only got two in that lower level, you're probably going to have zero because they probably want you to earn 25k, blah, blah. I don't know. It's just very difficult. So when people online and deal sources say, oh, I've got a great, you know, sub 50k purchase, the yield is probably going to be incredible. You know, somewhere in like Darlington or whatever, it's going to be like a 50k purchase, 500 quid a month. Wow. But then actually getting that mortgaged uh, is a headache. So always check with Shaz. Always check with your broker first. Chaz, um, we've reached the end of the podcast. I like this random Q&A, just picking your brain there. Are there any messages you want to leave us with or any other bits of finance wisdom you'd like to share? No, I think I've, sh- I've shared enough, to be honest, guys. No, but um, I think one thing I think is important is just remember with any kind of finance, it's you, the client or the investor, but also the assets. Those two things have to fit before you can get a lender to agree with you. When you are using a broker, just tell them everything and then let them or trust them to package you in the right way. When it comes to using a broker and or choosing a broker, by all means. So, yeah, let me just have a little rant, actually. By all means, right, speak to three, four different brokers. You know, someone's been tagged on Facebook or your mate said this one's really good. Seen someone on Instagram. Speak to them all. What you probably don't want to do, first of all, is when it comes to bridging or short-term finance, bridging lenders will absolutely hate it if they get the same deal for the same client from different brokers. They feel like you're just fishing for rates and they probably will decline the deal or stop anyway. So don't do that. Secondly, if you are speaking to different brokers, speak to them, you know, interview them, like I said, get to know them, how they work, how you want to work. And do you guys click? Cause that's, that's the key thing. Can you click and work together long term? But leave it at that. Don't get them to then say, oh, well, now can you find the cheapest rate and I'll compare it with four other brokers? Because you're asking someone to invest time doing the research, getting your criteria to then come back with, you know, a rate. I think interest rates are secondary. It's about the service and the skill and the finesse and all those sorts of things. Mike, mm, great, great points. And what is your Instagram tag? My Instagram tab, tag is at where's Shaz. That's two S's in the middle. Uh, where's Shaz? Two S's. Love it. I'll put your email address and your Instagram tag in the show notes so people can go and contact you. People listening, I like I said, I work with Shaz on many, many deals. I absolutely can vouch for his relentless ability to get houses mortgaged, really, and sort finance out, to put it simply. So Shaz, thank you so much for coming on the Tej Talks podcast. Thank you for having me. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.